Welcome to Create an Impact Talks. The show where we meet people who create an impact for our world. We learn about their initiatives and what drives them. On this episode, we get to know Jacopo Zea, the founder of Bosak, a company that supplies decentralized drinking water to rural areas in the world. The 86 richest people in this, on this planet own as much as the 4 billion poorest people. That's fundamentally wrong. Minus 25 degrees. Ice cold winds, it's like they, they, they throw needles in your face and then you're suddenly in Antarctica. Of course, for us, the goal as a company is to provide drink water for the people who don't have it. And for us, it's also win-win because we supply a sustainable product, 100% work and renewable energy. Uh, we get profits from it, so for a company, it's profitable. But at the same time, we're doing something good for the world. Yeah, welcome to today's episode. I'm really happy to have uh, in this episode Jacopo Zer from, J uh, from BOSAC. Um, Yeah, it's great to have you around, a great friend. Uh, we know know each other for some time now. Um, yeah, and I think you have just a really interesting and, and great story to tell, a great life. Uh, you've been a boxer, uh, you spent some some time in an, working in Adica, and now with Bosak, you uh, yeah doing something for decentralized drinking water, uh, which is a great topic uh, and which we wanted to cover later on. So welcome to the show, Jacob. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Benny. Glad to be here. Yeah, first of all, um, we want to get you know you as a person, uh, and um, yeah, tell us a bit about how you've grown up. You're Belgium. Um, it's quite hard to find Belgians uh, for <laughs> for podcasting. <laughs> you just so, so few people living in in Belgium. So maybe we have the the only social entrepreneur from Belgium right here. <laughs> But uh, yeah, just just tell us uh, just tell us a bit. Um, yeah, of your upbringing. Um, how did you grow up? Yeah, I think the, the upbringing for me is really important. If you, if you look at my life, uh, a lot goes back to my upbringing. So I'm, 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 I'm uh, a child from a family of seven children. So I'm the latest in the row together with my twin sister. Uh, and we only differ seven and a half years. So my oldest brother is seven years and a half older than I am. So we're very close to each other. Um, and we get along very, very well. Um, however, my parents, they were not uh, big earners. So we, lived, we grew up in a social neighborhood. So with social housing. Um, so it was always, we, I don't think we ever had shortage, but we never had well, a lot, basically. So we always had to work with the things we had. Uh, we couldn't eat anything we wanted, especially like candy and stuff was for us always uh, nice. If we had, uh, we'd get a special candy from my dad or something. Um, but I had a very good childhood. I was, I was allowed to play a lot. And I think in my, in my upbringing, my, my mom, uh, in, actually, if, if you look at my life, my mom is, the most inspirational person um, in my life. Um, it sounds a bit funny because there's so many great entrepreneurs being an entrepreneur myself, but I think my mom is the, the one who determined the most who I am because she always said, dream and keep dreaming. And that's what I'm doing as an entrepreneur as well. I, I'm, I'm a big dreamer. Uh, however, I really focus on what I have to do now to uh, reach that dream. But I'm a big dreamer. And uh, my mom taught me that never stop dreaming. Um, go for whatever you want. Do what you like. Super important. Do what you like. I've always done that. Um, so she was really important in my, in my upbringing. And actually I was a very bad student. I was, uh, 
I'm the only one of my brothers and sisters who didn't uh, who didn't got to go to a music uh, school. So I didn't uh, learn how to play uh, uh, an instrument. All of my brothers and sisters, they did. Because I was not smart enough. What is that, of course, smart enough? I was uh, played a lot as a kid, which I have, had to do, of course. And then um, I also, in the fourth grade, at 15 years in my full puberty, I had to uh, redo my year because of math. I was very bad at math, apparently. But in the end, I became an engineer, which is only mad. Um, and um, so, it, it, but that's also because my mom, she always pushed me, do what you want to do. Um, if you want to become an engineer, become an engineer. Um, so, um, yeah, I was, I was raised and I, I played a lot. I was a lot of things that I, that I could do. I did a lot of sports as well. That's something my parents really, really um, uh, encouraged. But I think the most important uh, step that we Get, got from my parents is going abroad for one year. So everybody, when he turned 18, he went for one year as a volunteer, a volunteer worker, to another country. I went to Costa Rica. And I went to Costa Rica as an 18-year-old guy, didn't know anything about the world, although at that age you think you know everything. But then you come, you're by yourself, you don't know the language, you don't know the country, you don't know the culture, you don't know anything, basically. You don't know nothing about life either. Uh, and it was, for me, the most inspiring year of my life is got to learn a new language, new culture, uh, got to know myself because you really go to the limits of yourself and you really have to, there's nobody around to support you. Because you're there by yourself, although you make friends, yeah, they're not a long time in your life. They don't really know your upbringing, they don't really your, your background. So uh, it was for me a very, very good year to, to grow basically as a person. Because the thing is, when I got back to Belgium, everything changed, changed for yourself. But when I got back, everything was the same, exactly the same as I left it. But it's just because you had made such a big steps personally that everything else looks that it stood still. And I was really conf confronting, basically. Um, but it gave me a lot of yeah, young wisdom, basically. I, 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 yeah, I saw things. I saw how all the people lived. I saw the culture, how people uh, deal with each other, the, the love for families, how families are, 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 are built in Latin America. is completely different than in Europe. Um, the, the joy of life is different. I don't say it's better or worse. It's just different. And just to realize that there's so much difference in the world is a good thing, especially when you be, want to become uh, an entrepreneur. So when I got back from Costa Rica, a uh, great year for me. I uh, wanted to go to university and I wanted to become an engineer. Uh, but I failed the first year because also my parents um, uh, divorced when I was in Costa Rica. So I got back. I had to live with my mom. And it was even less money than before. Uh, so they asked me to go uh, to pay for my studies myself, so which I did. So um, I redid. I went to another university. I did four years of um, of uh, industrial engineer with the option of chemistry, and I, I worked in that period as a bouncer. So I worked in clubs as a bouncer during the night. Because I also did kickboxing for about twelve years, also competition. And for me, it was is a really great environment. It's also a completely other side of the society because. Bars in general, it's, 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 it's a different kind of people, basically. So you see different parts of the side, a bit of a darker side of society. And for me, it was a great experience as well. Also, the fact that you have to... I was not a violent bouncer. And I never fought, almost never fought. I only had four times that it was physically in four years. So that's really not, not a lot. So, but you learn how to read people. You, know, you learn how to communicate with people. You learn how to deal with stressful um, situations where, where violence is, is very close. Um, so it was for me, it was a great experience. I loved it as well. I also bounced for two years in the, in the student neighborhoods where, the, where all the clubs are from, where all the cafes, the, the bars are for the students. So it was for me also um, a big lesson, but it also got me a lot of money. I earned a lot of money 
by doing that, so I could pay for my studies and I traveled a lot. So every every second weekend I was gone because I worked uh, uh, normally Thursday evening, Friday evening, Saturday evening, and sometimes I skipped Saturday evening and I went uh, on Saturday morning to another city somewhere in Europe. So I know almost all of Europe du- during my, my student time. So it was great. And then um, after the four years of study, I got my master's in industrial engineering. I worked for one year as a researcher. Uh, yeah, it doesn't fit really with a bouncer thing, but it was also a bit boring, to be honest. Um, uh, it was fitting uh, a mathematical model to experiment. So a bit boring, but it was the medium was water and the technology was membranes. Now it didn't really, it didn't have anything with water purification, what I'm doing right now. Um, so I then, after that year, I studied again because uh, I needed the money. I would need to wait that year to get the money to study two years further, another master, a master in chemical engineering. Um, and in my first year of these two master years, I saw the application for water, water expedition engineer Antarctica. And I said, oh, damn, I gotta go to Antarctica. So I applied for the job and, and I got to the, the, the final round and there were just two candidates left. And they told me, you can't go. Uh, you don't have the, 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 the other guy has the better experience. It was really strange. I got to the third round because I didn't know anything about water, to be honest. I just, yeah, um, fake it till you make it. <laughs> it's, it's something I use a lot. I was at that stage, I just wanted to go to Antarctica. Adventure. Um, so I couldn't go. So, and then the second year uh, of my master, they called me. I signed my contract in Dow Chemicals in March, April. To start in October, and in July they called me and they said, "Do you want to go to Antarctica?" I said, "Oh man, of course I want to go to Antarctica." So I called the job, I signed the contract, and I asked them to prolong, but to the starting date that to to move it uh, four months up, and they did that, and then I, I went to Antarctica. And just the idea of being on Antarctica is crazy because you get on a plane in South Africa, it's full summer, thirty-five degrees, get on a plane with your t-shirt, your shorts. In the plane, uh, it's an illusion. It's a, it's a, it's a Russian plane, and you step in, you think you're gonna you're gonna fluff, uh, drop out of the sky. It's really an old plane. Makes love. You get earplugs when you get in, so it's a really uh, um, uh, not a very good uh, shaped plane. And then you have to get your polar gear on before you land. And then you land, and it's min- min- minus twenty five degrees, ice cold winds. It's like they 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 throw needles in your face, and then you're suddenly in Antarctica on a continent. I've never even thought it would be would be because it, it, there's only 3,500 people that go to Antarctica every year and most of these people go back and back. So it's very limited amount of people that go to Antarctica. So we, we, we land on the Russian uh, base at Novolavraskaya and from there we go with TC3s uh, to the Belgian station about 400 kilometers uh, away. And my adventure began and I, I have rich, I remember, I came at the station. It's a very futuristic station. The station runs 100% on renewable energy. And in the core of the station is the water treatment system. And they told me, okay, this is your system. Literally like that, this is your system. Go ahead. And I didn't know anything about water. So for me, it was, oh, shit, what I have to do? So it was self-study for about three weeks, very long days. Uh, took a lot of risk, which I would never have taken if I knew what I was doing. Uh, but for some reason, it worked out. And I got the system running, which never run before. I did a really good job that first year, a bit by accident, uh, and I went back five years. And during that time, so I, I, when I got back the first time, I started Dow Chemicals. Then I quit my job after 10 months, went back to Antarctica, started a new job in Rotterdam, quit my job, uh, went to Antarctica, came back, started at Dow, uh, at BSF, BSF, the German uh, chemical uh, company. And then um, I went on holidays to Antarctica for work in Antarctica. And then uh, I got back again. And then they asked me if I wanted to go as an independent person because some some structural changes uh, with the organization of the station 
uh, went in and said, okay, this is, this is my opportunity to start my own company. Because I always dreamt of having my own company. I just didn't know how, you know, you know how it is, right? You have to have an idea and you're, I don't know really what I have to do. And of course, you step out of a golden cage because BSF had a very good position. I got paid way too much, get a very nice car, get a nice apartment paid by the company. So I had to step out of that secure life. But it's the best thing I've ever done. First of all, I don't really like, I don't look for security. I don't, I'm quite, um, I don't mind risk. I actually like to take risks. And from my point of view, that was not really big risks. What could go wrong, basically? So I went to Antarctica as an independent. I got back and I had my company. I invented the name Bosak. First few letters of my last name, bit of vanity. Uh, Bosak and AQ, Aqua, Latin word for water. And I had Bosak. Uh, the name was born. And I was sitting, I came back, was sitting in my desk. And, yeah, what am I going to do now? Oh, I'm going to be a consultant for water, right? Because I worked for five years in, 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 the, in the industry. But to be honest, I didn't know it was selling. So it didn't work out. It didn't work out, nothing. And I was thinking, okay, I, guess I have to have a product because with a product, you can really scale, you can have a bigger impact. So I started writing a business plan. And for about a year, I wrote a business plan. And in that year, I, I, I could pay myself from the money I earned on Antarctica. It was quite good money. Uh, and I, I uh, wrote my business plan and I networked. Networking was for me and still is one of the key uh, success drives of the company. Um, and I networked a lot of people, talked to a lot of people. And by um, December 2016, 20, I asked a friend of mine if he would want to join the idea of, of a company that provided decentralized drinking water. So drinking water uh, that can be purified on site anywhere in the world, on renewable energy. He said, yeah, sure. He said, uh, he told me, but you have to give me a seventy six 6 months pay. And then I'll, I'll, I'll join, he said. So, okay, I started writing a subsidy. Uh, a grant from the from the Flemish government, and by June 2018, um, he helped me with that. Okay, he has PhD, so he was used to writing stuff. So I wrote it first, and then he rewrote it. Um, and by June 2017, he joined the company because we got access to that grant. And the first year, we did a turnover of seven thousand euros. Uh, we didn't have any client, we didn't have any product, uh, basically no turnover. Uh, but we had a good story. We had a good story, and. Um, Completely complementary team because Peter is one of good, is one of my best friends, but he's a hundred percent the opposite of mine. He's very rational, he's risk averse, uh, he's very analytical. Um, he 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 is he's not a salesman. He's a technical genius, but I'm the opposite. I'm the businessman. I want to talk to people. I want to sell. I want to I want to get out there. I want to I want to I want that people hear my voice, and that is really. What, 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 what made us such a good team? And we convinced uh, initial investors to invest in our company. And that was, um, um, that was a good thing. It was in, in, in November 2017, I invested 200,000 years in our company. And yeah, from there on, we, we, yeah, we made it, right? But then it really starts, you know, you, you have to struggle. You have to go through all these difficult things, setting up a company, all the legislation that building a product we didn't know anything he's not a water engineer i'm not a water engineer we were building water purification systems you gotta imagine right so the first two years we developed 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 but for any reason it, it went well and we got at a certain point i remember we were almost bankrupt so we had for one month left cash bad cash flow planning that's something i learned now so we're not really busy with again so you say oh shit we're not gonna have cash what we're we gonna do and out of the blue there was an investor there that invested 225,000 years in our company and we were bridged and it was fine. So it's, it's constantly 
these 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 uh, these stories. Uh, you want you want to say something? Yeah. So I think uh, yeah, crazy crazy story. Um, and uh, you you just uh, like the the whole life story, your whole journey basically in mm -hmm. uh, in uh, in. In one answer, and I think there's just some points we we have to to dive into once more just to make people understand. Um, maybe just that from your educational background. Um, I think um, can you just uh, just uh, tell a bit once more, like what what is your educational background? What what did you learn in university? And then just to make people understand, like um, you got into drinking water supplies uh, and stuff like that. So so maybe just just in short, mm -hmm. what does what, what is the educational background? Yeah. So I went to uh, in Belgium. You have three levels of um, of uh, of schooling uh, when, between twelve and eighteen. So you have uh, technical schooling, which are two levels, uh, and then you have the schooling that prepares you to go to university. There actually um, some institutions that help students. Basically, they um, said I should do the lowest one because I was not fit for the high technical one, and that alone the highest one. But Again, my mom said dream, and I went to the highest one. I wanted to do that. Uh, so that's the first lesson I always give to people. If you want something and you're willing to sacrifice, you'll get it. I'm certain of that. It's, that's, that's, that's how my life is, is been. I always dreamt, and I, I go for it. So I did that, and it was a lot of math, a lot of science. And in the fourth grade, I, had to, I, was, I was playing too much, not really studying a lot, and I had to do it over. And then after that, I did even more math. So I did eight hours of math a week. So I had uh, a math science basis from, from my, between my 12 and my 18 years old, or 19 years old, because I, I did one year double. And then I went to uh, Costa Rica. And then I went to university. And for me, if you have a science and um, a math background, engineering is quite logical. Although I first went to study um, um, uh, history, because I'm really interested in history, how history of yeah, in general. But of course, what can you do with history? Is going to university, maybe if you're lucky, and in, in, in another case, you're a teacher, basically. So there's not a lot, of, a lot of things that you could do from my point of view. I said so. Engineering for me, it gives me a broad range of things I could do. So I went to to a college, basically. It's a it's a four year master degree, and it's it's more it's an engineering study that focuses more on the technical practical side of engineering, because you have also the university engineering, which I did later is more uh, the mathematical approach of engineering. So I did both, and it gives me a lot of um, benefit because in the practical one, you really uh, know, know how a machine looks like, how an engine runs. You, you, you bowl it, oh, you see how it looks. I, we also had to weld, for example, just to get to know what it is. Uh, of course, also the theory behind it. So it was an engineering study, which is really nice. It's also a master degree, but it's more focused to the technical side. Um, and then... Because I had to pay for myself, myself, I couldn't pay the two years of extra uh, university. I had to work, so I worked in something that was made sense, right? So I did something in 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 in, uh, in science background. So I was a researcher, um, not the job I really am, am, uh, was my ambition to do, but it was a good one because um, I shouldn't say that was a lot, but I didn't have didn't have to work very hard to be honest. Uh, I was eight hours a day. It was it, and I had a lot of freedom, and I, I did some, yeah. You know, some scientific stuff, basically. And then I went back to university, got enough money, I saved that. Yeah, I worked seven on seven because I worked five year, five days in the research institution and two nights as a mouse. So I worked seven on seven. And then I had enough money saved to go for the two other years, uh, two other master years uh, at university. And that study is really focused on analytical thinking. Um, and I'm 
being honest, I'm not the best engineer. I'm not the best analytical engineer, but I really taught there how to solve complex problems. Because what they teach is if you see a complex problem, take it apart, make it side problems, and solve the side problems before you, you put back the puzzle and you have a solved problem. And it's so, um, it's almost indoctrination on how to solve these complex puzzles that you really get a different way of thinking. And that really helped me, not only from the engineering uh, point of view of, of developing stuff, because I'm not really good at that, but more from the setting up a company point of view that you have to, you know, setting up a company may seem easy and it can, it can be easy if you do the right steps, but it can be very complex if you, if, you, if you don't know what you're doing. And I think that analytical way of thinking helped me a lot with, with setting up a company, although it's not meant for that. It's more meant for, for yeah, technical job, development jobs, uh, whatever. Um, but I think both studies that the more practical one connected with the more analytical one made me a more complete engineer, if I, if I can say so. Although I'm not, I'm not a stereotype engineer, obviously, mm. but it, it, it gave me a lot of, 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 of yeah, a lot of, um, uh, ways of, of looking at uh, problems differently. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. I think yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think we uh, we finished off uh, for uh, with the yeah with the start of Bosac. Um, maybe just just to make people understand what is the technology that that Bosac is, is supplying and uh, and to uh, to understand what is your company doing. I think that's that's an important point now for for our listeners. Yeah. So what happens when you open a tab, water comes out. And we in Western Europe, we're very used of water being readily available. Anywhere you go, you open a tab, you have drinking water, which is a good thing, of course. Now, how is that water supplied? Most people don't know that there are big water factories, basically, that purify water they find in a river, in the ground, wherever they can find it. They purify it to drink water standards, put it in a piping network, and it's supplied to everybody. And that's called a centralized supply of drinking water, which makes total sense in urbanized areas. But worldwide, there are 2.2 billion people They do not have access to water like we have it, and 80% of these people live in rural areas. But in rural areas, putting a network into the ground to supply water to all these houses is way too expensive because it costs between 150,000 and 350,000 US per kilometer to supply drinking water uh, in these networks. So you understand if a village is 100 kilometers from, from the nearest city, then you're not going to put, put pipe into the ground for 100 kilometers. You're going to supply drinking water decentralized. So you're going to set up a drink water installation there and you're going to find water in the environment. It can be river, ground, rain, uh, whatever you find, lake, uh, sea even. And then you're going to purify it on site. So that's called decentralized drink water supply. And that's what we do as a company. Now, of course, that's not really innovative. Um, it's, 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 it's applied more and more. But the innovative part is uh, the technology itself. So um, you have a, li a lot of different technologies to purify water, but we use membrane technology. Why? The quality of drink water is super high. Um, the bad thing about membrane uh, technology is that uh, you need chemicals to clean it. But we invented a technology that we don't need these chemicals anymore. You understand if you're in the middle of the jungle, in Syria, one of the, the countries we're active in, that you can't drag chemicals around in a boat or in a, in a car, whatever. You go to the installation, put it in the installation, and clean it. The membrane is impossible. It's a first of all too dangerous. People aren't educated to do that. It's too costly. So it's a lot of disadvantages to that. And we made sure that we don't have to do it anymore. And that's, of course, a huge advantage to the competitors. Um, we also developed a sensor uh, to make sure that the quality of water is always the highest quality. Because we have the vision at Bosac, we do not supply drinking water that you and me would not drink, even in Africa. We supply drink water anybody in the world will drink. 
because we we believe that everybody has the right uh, on that. So you have a lot of uh, voices say oh, as simple as possible, not to comp- it's not about simple as possible. It's about doing the right um, setup of your project, making sure technology is transferred, and work with local people. People are not more stupid in, in Africa. They just like the education. If you provide an education, that perfectly fine. We also uh, work with, it's not very complex, but it's more complex than just a water pump, basically, uh, and some chlorine in the water, which is not good, by the way, anyway. So if you really, if you approach a project right, you can do it anywhere in the world. And that's what we try to do. So we do uh, 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 quality water like we, we would provide in Europe because we also sell our, our systems in Europe. Uh, we do technology transfer, and we do a centralized approach of decentralized drinking water supply. How do, how do you have to see that? Is we go for regions to supply with drinking water because if we do one project with one installation, it doesn't make any sense. It's way too costly. Our engineers have to go there. They have to check out the project. They have to check out the water. They have to, it's way too costly. Also for maintenance, uh, spare parts, you can't do that. But of course, if you have 20, 50, 100 villages that you supply all with a system, then everything drops in cost. Your production costs go down because you have more, uh, more installations. Your maintenance costs go down because you can centralize that maintenance. Your uh, spare part management goes down because you don't have to have one spare part for one container, you have maybe two spare parts for 100 containers. So the cost per container goes down. So, and that's how we approach these projects. Also, it also means that you work only with bigger projects. Talking about Polsak is, it sounds a bit arrogant, but that's really how, 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 how we set it up. Is 5 million plus is the project we target. Between 1 and 5 million, we do the project. And under 1 million, we don't do the project unless it has a strategic import. And that's how we supply uh, water. So it's really focused on technology one side, so we like to call ourselves a water tech company, and the business side, the business setup, the other side. And I think in both of them, we're innovative. We approach the market in a different way. And I think this is the big the big, yeah, strength of a company like Bossa. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that, so your clients or where you supply your uh, your systems is uh, is country, so you're working, to, working with, uh, with governments, uh, basically, right? Yeah. So, um, like I said, bigger projects, if you work with an NGO, uh, in general, a lot of small NGOs, they cannot provide five million of projects. That's maybe the budget for five years they have. So, if you want to work to bigger projects, you work or with governments or with multilateral development banks. But multilateral development banks also work with governments. So, in the end, you always work with governments. So, that means you get to go to the highest level of government to have a buy-in of the project from a financial point of view. And that means my the people I sell to are politicians, are ministers, are presidents, vice presidents, uh, depending on, on where they are, and also local uh, uh, local authorities, in general, mayors, uh, governors. So from bottom down all the way up, everybody's involved. But for us to get the financing done and to have an arrangement on the financing, we need that top level. So I deal with politicians. But and the thing is, I always say to people, they, they ask me, how do you sell? Well, I don't sell a product. I sell an idea of winning the next election. Sounds completely wrong, but that's what we do. Because we know we deal with politicians. And what is the goal of politicians is to make sure he's in power the next term and that he can do something for his population. That's what we provide him. So we provide him drinking water for, it's, for his people, but Bringing drinking water has, is a, a huge social enabler. It's not only good health, uh, it's also uh, more education because you don't have to waste time with going to fetch water. It's gender equality because women aren't generally uh, um, uh, doing uh, the, all the stuff with water. So there's a lot of things connected to that. For example, in Sudan, there's a school which is six months a year closed because there's no water and the teachers come from the capital and they don't want to drink from the river. But now with that installation, the school can be open 12 months a year. 
So not only bringing drink water, better health for people, you also bring education. So everything is really, yeah, connected with each other. And that's what we sell to this politics. We sell an idea of a better society with investing in drinking water. And that, that really works. It's a, they understand if they provide to their population that they will win the next election, basically. Of course, for us, the goal as a company is to provide drink water for the people who don't have it. And for us, it's also win-win because we supply a sustainable product, 100% work on renewable energy. Uh, we get profits from it. So for a company, it's profitable. But at the same time, we're doing something good for the world. And that's, yeah, it's just a dream as an entrepreneur to, to have a concept where you, where you can make money, can have your company grow, have, have more impact, but at the same time, you're doing a good thing for the world. And combining these two is just, yeah, the best thing, yeah. I suppose, yeah. And, um, yeah, you, you're working, uh, as you said, in a lot of rural areas in, uh, in, in, uh, yeah, in all different countries of the world, Europe, and all, but, but more, mainly also in countries where there is no supply for, for, uh, for drinking water for, for the, for the, um, for the people living there. How many, how many people in, in, on this planet do not have a, um, a, a, a source of, uh, of, uh, purified drinking water? How many people don't so have? There are about 850 million people who never have access to clean drinking water. And there are about 2.2 billion, between 2.1 and 2.3 billion people who have difficult access to drinking water, meaning they don't have the supply like we have in the tap, so they have to fetch water somewhere. Uh, 2.3 billion people worldwide drink uh, contaminated water. Um, so it's really one third, in the, it, one, one third of the world population does not have a good access to clean drinking water. And that is huge. That is, yeah, that's enormous. And it's even worse with the with the with the with the uh, hygiene, uh, sanitation, uh, a proper toilet, uh, washing your hands. If you look at and also in the in the in the in the in the crazy uh, world we live today, especially with COVID nineteen, that you have two point three billion people not having access to just wash their hands. Yeah, there's something completely wrong, right? And that's that's something that we because we our ambition is to provide one million of people drink water in. Uh, 2025 and 35 to 40 million people in 2035, um, but that's only a fraction of all the people who don't have actually drinking water. So it's the the challenge is huge, it's enormous, and it's also needed. And you also see the multilateral development bank, like the World Bank, uh, Inter American Development Bank, African Development Bank, Asian Development. They really have big programs to invest in drinking water uh, uh, provision because drinking water is is the energy, it's, it's the it's source of our life. You know, what's what's the point if you have if 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 you have a cell phone but you can't eat or, or drink? Because food is the same, you need water for, for making food. So it's such an elementary thing that we all take for granted, which is not for granted for one third of the world population. Imagine sitting in a room with six people, two of them don't have access to clean drinking water. It's crazy, right? You can envision that? Yeah. And that's something that yeah, that's so we want to be part of that solution of for, for, for providing Yeah. Um What is the advantage in this regards uh, to to your uh, with your te technology? You, you told you told before it's it's a de decentralized system. It's it's much more uh, much more co cost efficient. But but besides that, like maybe just to understand a bit more about the, the technology, like um, what is the setup of of the how? Maybe take us a bit, bit more visual visual uh, to visualize the the, the technology. Um, take us a bit into what it is doing, how does it look, and, and how does it help uh, to, to solve this, this big issue? 
Yeah. So membrane technology, first of all, is technology that's also used uh, in Belgium, Germany. So it's a, it's a known technology. It's membrane technology around since the 70s. It's only um, financially, uh, f- well, it's economically uh, viable since the 2000, 2010. And then it came really up. So the last 10, 15 years, the price of membranes dropped drastically um, and were a lot easier to, to, to get an economic model, business model around, around it. So that's the first. Um, now, memory technology, is, it's the core of the system. So it's there where water is made drinking water. But of course, you need pre-treatment and you need post-treatment. So pre-treatment is, for example, if there's sand, little particles in the water, then you're going to take it out with other kind of fil- filters, which have, have a, a bigger bigger hole, basically. And that takes all the dirt out. And then it goes, um, after a f- one or two of these steps, it goes to the membrane technology. And the membrane, you got to see membrane as a physical uh, separation between the dirt and the drinking water. Because drink water, H2O, and then you have minerals, you have salts, you have uh, suspended solids, so you have anything in the water. And that is separate in these membranes. And the, the higher you go in, 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 in degree of separation, uh, the more energy you need, but also the purer the water gets. For example, you start with microfiltration. Uh, when the water is not uh, contaminated with pathogens, it's enough for drinking. But then you have ultrafiltration, which also takes the bacteria and viruses out. Then you have nanofiltration, which also takes the organic content out. And then you have reverse osmosis, which also takes the salts out. So reverse osmosis is a membrane technology that also can purify seawater into drinking water. Um, and these are the different steps. And according to the water we find, we just switch the type of membrane. And then you have water. If you have uh, water from ultrafiltration, nanofiltration, then the water is good for drinking. But we, in general, do a post-treatment with um, or chlorination because it's we don't we not recommend that uh, because we don't think it's the the best approach. But in a lot of countries, it's uh, legally obliged that we do that. So we put a, a chlorination step in. But we also use uh, LED uh, uh, UV technology. So UV is uh, light basically, but it's it's you know it's carcinogenic. So you get cancer from it if you're exposed for, for a long time. And that's what we put on the bacteria. So the bacteria die if they get that light on, on them. And that's how we disinfect the water, basically. Now, the general uh, technology is mercury-based uh, uh, LED uh, UV, lamp, uh, uh, UV lamps, so mercury-based UV lamps. But we use LED UV lamps because we don't have the mercury anymore. Again, more sustainable. It's more expensive, but it's more sustainable. It, it also lasts longer and also have the maximum capacity uh, as soon as you switch on, on, the, on the bottom, which you don't have with the mercury lamp. So a lot of advantages to that. And then the water is supplied to the people. Uh, so this is a complete train, but we can switch these trains. So, uh, for example, if you have reverse osmosis, then you make water which is ultra pure and you don't have any minerals in it anymore. And if you supply that water to children who are underfed, they'll die from that water because it, it subtracts the minerals from the body, which is obviously not what it should do. So we have to add minerals again. So that's an, a different standard with reverse osmosis. We have to add minerals again. So we call it remineralization. And that's a different model that we put. But our systems are built in modules, so you can interchange these modules both from a, soft, uh, from a hardware point of view as a software point of view. So it's interchangeable. The, the good thing about it is that it's very scalable because we don't need to redesign our system all the time for a different water. We just interchange our modules to make sure that any water that we find in the environment, we can uh, upgrade to, 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 to clean drinking water. So it's a physical separation of water. So we don't use chemicals to clean the water, which is still a common, a common um, um, application in, in industry and treatments. So, you're working now on uh, on uh, various contracts in, in different uh, parts of the world. When 
when there's a contract signed and then you really got to work, like how does it look? You your team is approaching there, uh, the technology is 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 shipped there. Or how how does how does it uh, how's how, how's the rollout 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 of your system and then then works? How how does it look? First of all, we, we, we don't have a lot of experience with selling because we can't sell to Fakra at the same time at the start of the company because they are big contracts, uh, multi-million contracts. So you can't do, yeah. Uh, and so we just could do one country, basically. And um, so I have it works. First thing, so we have several steps in the sales process. The first rule as a startup, I think it applies for any startup, is fake it till you make it. So I always sold contracts. I also sold products we've never built before, till now. So now we can sell something we've built before, so we have experience. That's the first thing. Um, and um, the most important thing is um, networking. So there are three reasons why we sell in the country. First of all, is the needs, but 95% of all countries worldwide have the certain need of decentralized drink water supply. The second is network, super important. And the third one is financing. How are you going to finance the project? And these two last ones are, of course, determining ones. Network, so the first, for example, Suriname, I'm going to give you a concrete example. Suriname, I was there once on invitation of our, of our investors. They have a little resort there, and they had some issues with water and invited me there to check the problems with the, with the resort. And I was traveling a bit in the country, and I saw these villages along the river, uh, only accessible by water, not by road. There's no road there. And I was wondering, damn, how, how do you people live? Do they have drink water? Do they have electricity? Oh, no, no, no. They have electricity uh, three hours a day, and they have They drink from the river. I was like, really? Oh, yeah, people get a lot sick here, yeah. So I was like, well, then this is the ideal setup for a system. So I went to the, the second part of a sales process, networking. So I asked some people around, do you know this guy, this guy? And from one, so now it's more from one meeting, I went to another. And before I knew it, I was at the, sitting at the table of the director of natural resources, which is one of the most important um, ministries in Suriname, and is also responsible for drinking water. And I was talking with them and I was explaining them. And the thing is that you, you, when you talk to these people, you uh, create a personal bond. Now the guy's a good friend of mine. Uh, but it's also from a, from a sales point of view, it's, as we discussed before, uh, selling and buying has, is a trust relationship. And you have to build that trust. So that relationship building is super important for trust relationship. So in the end, they buy your solution. And um, so we really work on that. We work with the people. We let them understand this is good for the country. It's good for your personal career. It's good for your political career. It's good for, 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 for financing part. We also have financing. So that's how we do it. And then as soon as the, the, the network is built, because uh, the two most important people of the contract signing, they were at my home in Belgium. I invited them to Belgium to see the, comp the company. And they came at my house uh, with my girlfriend together. We, we had dinner together. So it really is a building relationship. Once that is set, then you go to a specific con uh, specific project. They say, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this, um, and we're going to uh, provide it with this kind of financing. And it's also on us to provide that financing. Or it's a commercial bank, or it's a multilateral development bank. Uh, you work with export credit agencies. Export credit agencies are insurance companies that insure transactions. So when a, company, when a country fails to pay back the loan, the insurance company is going to pay back the bank. And the insurance company is going to Uh, uh, talk to the government to get this money back. But it's really on a high level because it's all politically, uh, politically uh, uh, incentivized and even that insurance company is a state-owned Belgian company that we work with. So it's really on, on, on that level that you have to have the right connections. You understand, again, network super important. And if you have the financing set, you have the, the project set, then you go, can go to contract signing. And then you sign a commercial contract um, 
But then you're not done because normally in B two B commercial contract is signed, you start you start your project. But that's not the case with uh, governments because it's not the commercial contract is legally binding, bounding, but they, they still you always have to pass the Ministry of Finance. The Ministry of Finance have to approve the funding, and it's also an important signature because if you don't have that, you have a project but you can't execute it because you don't have the money. So it's not because you signed the commercial contract you already have your money. So you have to wait till the Ministry of Finance contract. And the financial contract, and if that's signed, then you have immediately access to your money, which is also a very good thing. We work cash flow positive on our projects because at, as soon as the contract is signed, the financial contract is signed, we get uh, a big part of the of the of the money already in advance. So we never have to lend money, or we don't have to go to investors to give us money for sustaining the working capital of the company. We can work with the project money to 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 develop the project, and then we. Uh, Bill of indulgence, we ship it. Uh, it's also normally uh, uh, duty free because that's also in the contract that we have to uh, 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 be able to import without paying taxes because, yeah, it's again, it's for the government as, uh, as well. So yeah, they pay themselves, I, I, they pay themselves because they pay us and we have to pay the import tax. The, the so we, we make sure that we don't pay import tax. Then it's supplied uh, uh, in the country, then we commission it, and then we always work with local partners. Always. There's no, you can't do it. Only from the company itself. So we, in that in that round of networking, we also look for, for local partners. And these local partners are in, uh, introduced to the project. We also introduce to technology, and then we technology transfer. So we we teach them how the system operates and how to maintain them. And that's also support of three years. So we never sell a contract to government without maintenance contract. So the minimum maintenance contract duration is three years, and we like to have the duration of the maintenance for as long as the the government is in power. Because, of course, in the election year, you have a lot more leverage to renew the contract. That's a bit the idea. Um, and then we uh, do technology transfer. We, we teach them how to operate uh, and maintain the system. It's installed. The system run 100% automatically, so you don't have to look at it. And we, we foresee one time a year uh, a check of the system. That's a bit uh, how it's set up. Once it, it takes about two to three days to set up the system, and it's fully operational, which is also a, a big benefit as 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 long as the production in Belgium can keep up, we can supply very fast assistance, which in election time, you understand, when you still in election time, it's a big advantage. Because you can really provide very fast assistance to the country, install it very fast, and you have that immediate result. So that's how we set it up. And then from there on, people uh, uh, can buy the water. Also in our contracts, we oblige the government that people pay for the water. Because although it's a human right, drinking water, it's not free. Same with food. Food is also a human right, it's not free either. Same with water. You have to have purification, so it's not for free. And people have to understand that water has a big value because without water, you can't live. So people have to be obliged to pay, not necessarily the pay it costs, like the price it costs, but uh, they have to pay to value the importance of clean drinking water. And people are also willing to pay as long as you can uh, uh, guarantee safe clean drinking water. And people pay, and that money comes back, something that we're setting up now, that money comes to our account, and then we distribute it to the local community. Uh, to the local part for maintenance uh, and a part for uh, covering the capex cost because to the government, uh, to the federal government. Uh, but we also now look into blockchain technology for a water cryptocurrency, so we can uh, also make sure that people uh, off bank to do who don't have a bank account can pay for the water just with the cell phone. That's something that we try to set up um, to introduce it because in Africa these things go a lot faster. Uh, in, in less developed uh, regions, not only Africa, Latin America, South as well, goes a lot faster because they skip steps that we we took, and that cryptocurrency thing is something that is really robust 
or make sure there's no fraud and that money always gets where it has to get to go. So that's also something we're working on. We also work with augmented reality for partners. So uh, it's with the Google Glasses. Basically, you look at the system and you can see through the glass what you have to do for maintenance. So you really can. So that's something, things we always make sure that we develop in advance, that we always, yeah, a step ahead of the competition. Uh, it's not feasible, it's not economically feasible, viable right now, but it will be in the future. So that's some, these things we always take into account. Same with the cryptocurrency. It's not, we don't do it now, but we're working on it to make sure that we can install it. And that's how we try to, to serve the market in the most effective way. And also people have the real, um, the real value is created for them. Because the, one of the biggest things that happen with, uh, drinking water supply is that companies come, they put an installation and they're gone and the, the system fails after six, seven months and nobody looks at it. Because first of all, they don't pay, so they don't care. And second, there's no maintenance contract uh, connected to the installation. So we sell a product as a lump sum now because we don't, we, we, that's how they do it. They pay us for the product, but including that series of maintenance. So we have enough time to transfer the technology. So that's how we set it up. Yeah, man, we we covered a lot of uh, a lot of ground uh, in in the last uh, forty minutes. Um, thanks all already for for all the insights. Maybe coming back to to you as a person, what drives you as an as an entrepreneur, and um, what is your vision for for decentralized drinking water supply and and for Bosac? Mm. What drives me as an entrepreneur, a fellow entrepreneur? Once we were in a group and we we it was kind of accelerated program, and he prescribed me. He said go to the end of the line and beyond to achieve ultimate freedom. And that's who I am. I, I want to become free. Of course, freedom is a very personal thing because what is freedom for you is not for me. But for me, freedom is the freedom to, to, to do things in life I love, which I'm doing with Bosak, is the, the freedom to, to, to choose what country I go to, the freedom to, to have a life without words, the freedom to, to travel, the freedom. There's so much things that connect to freedom, but uh, it's a general thing. It's also the purpose of me with Bossa. Uh, but it's not only obtaining personal freedom, it's also giving freedom to people. And for me, providing drinking water to communities is providing freedom, a kind of freedom to these people. They are not um, a change in the, in, the, in, the, in the water system. They know being two hours walking for getting water, um, uh, getting ill because of water, uh, can't go to school because they have to fetch water. So it gives a certain amount of freedom, and that's that's my purpose. I as an entrepreneur, I want to create. I think that's a lot of entrepreneurs will, will recognize that you want to create. You want to. My my goal is not becoming rich from both sides. My goal is to create something, and that people recognize that what we do with the company is something good for the world. And that's my goal. I'm not. I'm not. I don't mind saying that. Uh, I, I would like to get recognition of 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 doing something good for the world, and I hope we do something good for the world. Uh, and I, I want to create, I want to, I want to change and I want to change for the good. So that's my personal ambition. Now, if you look at decentralized drink water supply, what is my vision on that? My vision on that is that we will go to uh, a hybrid system where centralized and decentralized will coexist together, uh, where decentralized will, will be more for rural areas, centralized will be more for cities. Um, and um, it will, be, I think, and that's also what we're trying to do, we normally drink water uh, installations are always turnkey. So what happens is you have a project, you have to go there, you have to uh, check the water, you have to check the environment, and you have to uh, design an installation, and then you build the installation and you go ahead and install. We want to get away from that. We want to say, we say, this is a standard product, and we have options. And we have to change the options so we can cover any water that we find in the environment. So we don't have to 
redesign anytime a new uh, a new a new system. So we can just build in in masses these installations uh, in big mega factories, and they can supply anywhere in the world at a very low cost, but still providing high quality safe drinking water. Um, and I really think that decentralized decentralization of drinking water will be a big driver in the drink water sector. Why? If you look, for example, at um, at telecom. Uh, phones in Africa, landlines, they are non-existent, basically. But everybody has a cell phone. And the cell phone network is just very good because in the middle of the jungle in Suriname, you have cell phone coverage, but you don't have a landline. Energy is the same. You rebuild big plants, um, 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 uh, nuclear plants, gas, gas uh, uh, turbines, whatever, to supply as a, in a centralized way uh, energy. But what happens in Africa they can't do it and have the funds to invest in an infrastructure and do everything decentralized. Solar panel uh, fields, uh, hydroelectricity, uh, wind uh, electricity, but even smaller uh, uh, non-sustainable combustion um, generates to provide energy. So decentralized. And we believe that drinking water will follow the same, the same direction. But what we want to do with, with, with the solution we have is connected with uh, 100% uh, CO2 um, uh, eliminating technology, being solar panels, uh, hydro energy, wind energy, uh, even volcanic uh, uh, energy, if it's, it's possible, whatever energy we find in the environment that doesn't uh, uh, rely on, on uh, oil oil products, basically. So that's what, how I look uh, at where the world will go. To. And it, it will also not only be in Africa, but it will also be in, in Belgium, Germany. There are 700,000 homes in Germany that are not connected to drinking water. You probably don't know that. There are 40,000 homes in Belgium not connected to water. And also there we provide solutions for So people can 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 capture green water and can uh, uh, purify drink water. So there's a lot of things that there's so much opportunity for us as a company. And you will see that at personalization, you also have technology that personalize the water. Uh, there's more for Western countries that you can, for, for sports, you put a lot of magnesium in the water for children, a lot of calcium for pregnant women. A lot of minerals. So even there, you can play with with these decentralized systems at home. So there's a lot of opportunity, and you see that water will. I think that the value of water will be um, will be valued more. Why? Because uh, the scarcity. There's now 45 percent of the world population lives in the water scarce area, and that will grow. Also, with the world population growing, so the the focus on water will be bigger and bigger and bigger. So I really believe that the, there is a revolution ongoing in the water sector. And I think we just, I think I set up the company at the right time, in time. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of things coming uh, our way. And I, I don't think we're going to stay with memory technology. will be new technology we'll, we'll develop that we work with. And, but, yeah, it will be a big, a big a revolution. And decentralized requests will be one of the main drives of the water provision worldwide. Yeah. Jacob, thank you so much uh, for yeah, everything that we covered. In the end of every podcast, I, I ask uh, the guests three questions, which are always the same for, for everyone. And um, the first question, or the yeah, it, it, is, um, what advice would you give to yeah people out there, um, aspiring entrepreneurs? Uh, what is what is your advice? Uh, looking back, your, your best advice you would give to to someone like that? Never give up. I think it's the only advice that any entrepreneur that made it. You know, I once wrote a quote and I thought it was really good. Winners are losers who never give up. I love that quote because, you know, I was with Bosak, I was three times almost bankrupt. You just go. 
you go, you believe what you do, go, 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 go. And never give up is part of that deal. Even if the money runs out, there's always a way that you find money to, I think, yeah, never give up is for me the, 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 like, to get it with, with, do what you like. Don't do it for, if you do it for the money, forget it. Don't do it. You will be very unhappy. Do what you like. Do what you like and never give up. And it brings you as an entrepreneur the biggest satisfaction that you will have. Even if you fail, if you never give up, you start something new. And in the end, it will work. I'm 100% sure of that. They, they told me that I had to do the lowest level of education. And I didn't want to because I dreamt. My mother taught me dream. I never gave up. I never gave up. I never gave up. And I went, went, went. And yeah, we are where we are now. Or did we make it? Of course not. But we are on a good, we are on a good path, basically. And we're going to that dream that I envisioned a long time ago. So I never give up. Right. The three, three best books you, uh, you, um, that you read? I don't read books. <laughs> okay. It's probably, cartoon, it's probably cartoon or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question. What is your wishes and hopes uh, for our future world, for our planet? Yeah. Equality. Um, if I look at the world um, today, 86, the 86 richest people in this, on this planet own as much as the 4 billion poorest people. That's fundamentally wrong. Fundamentally wrong. And I want to. I want to change that. I want. I want. I want to be part of the change uh, of how our system works. Uh, it's not honest. It's not. It's not normal that in in COVID crisis, uh, stock markets are booming. Because who's benefiting benefiting from stock markets? It's rich people already. But I think the COVID crisis really um, shows the 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 complete um, how the system works and how it how the system doesn't work. For so many people, it makes people wealthy who are already wealthy, who are, are, are already wealthy and always have been wealthy. But if you do, for example, a lockdown, right? it's, it's a lot of debate about COVID. I don't want to raise now a COVID price, but if you do a lockdown, we can handle that. It's a social system that supports a lockdown. But if I go to Suriname, where we sell, and I look there, a lockdown, well, people have to struggle every day, and I mean it every day, not in, in a figure of speech, every day, they have to make sure they have food on their plate because there's a lockdown and there's no social security there. So you understand how a crisis like this even makes the gap between rich and poor even bigger. And I want to I be part of closing that gap. It's, it's not right how the world works. It's not right that so small amount of companies earn so much money over crisis and that the rest of the world is, is suffering heavily. And, I, and I'm not talking about Europe because we are fairly good off, although I don't agree with, with, with policy, but that's a different discussion. It's more about uh, the, 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 the people who don't have a lot, they, they always, they're always the one who pays for things going wrong in the world. And people have a lot, they always benefit. I was talking to my investor, and it's a good guy, it's not about that, but I was, I was asking him, oh, what do you think of COVID? Ah, oh, good, eh? As soon as the world's going to open, oh, a lot of opportunities. Of course, if you have the cash, invest in Before you know, you have you've gathered, you doubled your fortune basically. But that can't be the goal of, of us as human beings to to be that focused on wealth and, and thing. I understand that you want to have a good life. I I also have a good life, and I like that. But there's a there, there should be limits to that. And I I, I want with the company Bosak, I want to create a real impact to make people lives better 
uh, that they have a little bit more, a little bit more dreams that they can dream a little bit more, and that they can, yeah, have a secure life for them and their families. Because that's in the end, that's what connects all human beings. You want to be safe. You want to have a family that's happy. You want to have children that grow up in a safe environment, have a good education, have a good job. That's what we all want, and that's connects any people from any color, any race, any uh, uh, religion. That's what connects us, and I think that's what we have to focus on with with all the the the, the companies that are basically uh, doing. The things like like you and me do, uh, making this world a better place. Man, 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 Jacob, thank you so much uh, for for your time for our conversation. Um, I wish you all the best, um, all the best of luck for for you as a person for for uh, Bosak, and um, let's keep in touch, talk soon, and all the best. Thanks a lot uh, for having me, Ben. It's really nice. Thanks a lot.